for the last five or I guess five weeks, it's actually been seven, I hadn't been here two of them, but the five that I have been here, we've been in a series called Keys to the Kingdom, Bringing Heaven to Earth. And what we've been talking about is there are certain keys that open certain doors into the kingdom of God that, that when those doors open, the provisions that we need are there. And without those keys, we can't seem to get the doors open. You ever been locked out of your house? Or your car? And you don't have a key. I mean, you're not going to get in. I mean, other than unless you break a window or you call someone. Uh, and so keys are very important. And, and it doesn't matter. You've got to have the right key. And that's what we've been stressing as we've talked in this series. You, it, it's not that you have a key. It's that you have the right key. And this morning, I want to, I want to talk about a key that, that is really critical. And it's, it's a key that, that each of us, it's not a key we have to find. It's a key that we have to choose. Okay, And what I'm calling it this morning is the commitment key. Commitment's a word that most people would rather just duck out on. Okay, Commitment requires something very few people really want to give. You know what that is? Themselves. We want to squeeze a little here, squeeze a little there, but we don't want to co- totally commit to anything. Commitment literally is, is a promise. It's a pledge to be loyal to someone or to something. It means to give oneself totally up. It's to pledge oneself fully and completely. And very few people in our culture and in our society are willing to commit themselves fully to anything. Folks, let me just tell you, that's why our nation is struggling right now. That's why we're struggling with the threats in the Middle East and in China and other places. Those people are committed to their ideology. They're committed to their beliefs. They're willing to die for those things. But most of the people in this country don't know what they're committed to. It's because they're not committed to anything except themselves. Now, you say, Nelson, that's kind of hard. That's just the reality of, of the way things are. Commitment is not something that a person can do partially. It's not something that you can do halfway. Commitment is you're either all in, whole hog, uh, you know, or you're not. I mean, it, there's no, you know, dip your foot in the water and, okay, I'm in the water, but I'm not in the water. That, that's not commitment. Commitment is no turning back. And most people refuse to commit themselves fully. Therefore, there's, there's little sustained commitment in most areas of our lives. Commitment means you can count on me no matter what. I will say that again. Commitment means you can count on me no matter what. And most people would rather sit back and they would w- rather wait to see what happens. Okay? Is this going to be successful? Is this not going to be successful? If it's successful, I'm in. As long as it's successful. But if it's not successful, I'm out of here. And that's the way most people approach life. That's how they approach their family. That's how they approach their jobs. And listen, that's how most people approach church. Okay, that, that's just reality. They're not committed. And sadly, that's the way it is, you know, in every facet of our society. And, and like I said, especially in the church, few people are genuinely committed. Yet commitment is the foundation of success. I was, as I was preparing this week, I came across a story that I remember reading many years ago. Many of you may be familiar with this name. Some of you may not be, but in 1519, Hernando Cortez landed on the Yucatan Peninsula in Mexico. He had come, he's a conquistador, I'm going to say it right, conquistador. He was a conquistador, and he had come from Spain. And he had come with the purpose, he'd heard the stories of the, of the Aztecs, and uh, the, the great amount of gold and riches that they had. And so he had come, and his plan and his purpose was to conquer them. Now, part of that was to conquer them. He, he, was, he was also, he wanted to convert them. Uh, it, was, it was God, 
and glory, basically. And that's why they came. But he landed on the Yucatan Peninsula, and he landed with 500 sailors, I mean, excuse me, 500 soldiers, about 100 sailors, and 16 horses. Now, you back up from there, and you look at that, and that's not very many people to conquer a, a nation. But he landed on the shore, and his intent was to conquer the Aztec Empire. He was committed to that goal. He had planned for years to do this. And so when he, he landed, he, he, he brought a group of individuals who were at least in enough to come. Okay? But the task that lay before him before them was something that in 600 years no one else had been able to do. And so Cortez began to build up his followers once they were on shore. He built them up with stories of the, of the riches that was, that was just within their grasp. Uh, once on the shore, for several days, they held, he held seminars. I mean, and he would tell them about the treasures and, and what they looked like and how much there was and, and who their enemy was and, and, and the type of weaponry that they had. At night, he would have pep rallies. Okay, they'd have a bonfire, and, and he, would, he would talk about the glory that, that they were there to gain. And, and as they trained on the beach, now remember, it's a long trip over, so they were training, sharpening up their military skills. He, he, would, he would shout things and encourage them about, the, the, you know, about paying the price and doing those things. I mean, it was like a football coach or a basketball coach uh, or softball coach trying to get his players pumped up to play the game. To do the impossible. And his men got excited. They were energized. And they began, they began to be very eager to leave the beach and to march inland. And so one day, the day arrived that they were to march inland and head to the, to the, through the Aztec Empire. And Cortez gave a three-word command. Burn the boats. Now, I don't know how many thousands of miles it is across the ocean from Spain to the Yucatan, but I've been in the north part of Mexico, and it's even drier down in that part. There's not a lot to look at. Those boats were my way home, okay? I'm sure that's what's going through those soldiers. He said, burn the boats. And then he said this, burn the boats. If we go home, we'll go home in their boats. And they marched inland. They were committed. <laughs> okay, if they had, I mean, there's no way home. There's no way out. It's either conquer them or die. And history records, that, if you know history, that, uh, that they conquered the mighty Aztec nation. Why? Firepower? No. I don't think so. They had some. They had. They had gunpowder, and they had guns, and they probably had some cannons. But you know, there's only so much that that can do. Was it the the amount of horses they had? No, they only had sixteen. Was it was it the fact that they just outnumbered the army that they faced? No, they didn't. It was that they were fully committed. Okay, when they went into battle. They fought with everything they had because they had nothing to go back to. If they died, they died then. Okay? It was, it was give it all. It was not save something up for tomorrow. They were fully committed. And Jesus, I believe, is looking for, for men and women, and he's looking for boys and girls who are willing to give him that level of commitment. You listen to me. Jesus demands Nothing less than that. And he will accept nothing, or he demands nothing more than that, but he will accept nothing less. Total commitment is the necessary key if you and I want to experience the blessings of God's kingdom. Jesus addressed the key of commitment, and he addressed its relationship in the kingdom of God in a passage that, that has a very uh, important Meaning for me personally, and maybe I'll share that later, but it's found in, in Luke chapter 9, verse 57. And we're going to look at today, we're going to look at verse 57 through 62. 
And in this passage, he teaches an essential principle that we need. We've, over the last few weeks, we've learned some kingdom principles, and, and I'm just going to share some of those with you, and I'm going to hold my breath because I don't have but one of them written down, and Tom has the other four. But I'm going to share these, and you can read them. The first week we taught, we taught the capacity for experiencing, exploring, and enjoying abundant life, or abundant kingdom living, requires a lifestyle of consistent repentance. We talked about repentance and how that has to be a part of our lifestyle. The second one is, is, is that we seek the provider, not the provision. We go after God, we pursue God, and He provides. The third one, is in the kingdom, the proper attitude puts the resources of heaven at our disposal. We talked about how attitude determines our altitude. We're to be poor in spirit. That's got to be our attitude. Principle four, and we talked about this last week, is that in the kingdom, humility determines status. And today, the principle I want to share with you and kind of, kind of work around is that total commitment is required if we're going to become kingdom disciples of Jesus. I'm not talking about followers. I'm talking about disciples. There's a difference. Disciples are totally committed to Jesus. They have burned their boat. Okay? They don't have another way home. And can I just share this with you? If, if maybe you're a follower and you haven't burned your boat, there is no other boat home. All right? There's one boat and Jesus is, it owns it. And none of us can walk on the water to get where we need to get to, okay? We've got to go in, in Jesus. But Jesus talked about commitment a great deal. And every person has to make this decision. I can't make this decision for you. I can't make this decision for this church. For this church to succeed, we have to have committed people. We have to have committed people in every area. We have to have a lot of committed people. It, it can't be just one or two committed people. It has to be a group who have one heart and one purpose. And so as individuals, we have to be committed if we're going to follow Jesus. And you may think that you've done that. But I want to ask you this morning, have you really done that? Have you really committed yourself completely to Jesus? Jesus wants all of you. And he's unwilling to accept anything less. I mean, here's the reality, folks. If he doesn't have all of you, in reality, he has none of you. Okay? This is all or nothing. I know you don't hear this very often in church, but there's no debate over lordship and savior. He's lord and he's savior. Okay? And he either has you or he doesn't have you. That's just the way it is. You say, well, Nelson, that's kind of harsh, and that's kind of hard. That's just the way it is. I'm either all in, or I'm on the outside looking in. Okay? That's, that's, that's where we are, and that's where it is. And that sounds harsh, I know, but that's the biblical reality, and we have to come to grips with that. If I'm not totally committed to Jesus, I'm really not committed at all. Again, I'm going to ask you, have you burned your boat? Are you still considering some other option? If you're depending on another option, you're not committed to Jesus, okay? Now, this morning, I want to, I want to share and, and maybe have you consider three steps that are essential in discovering whether or not you're totally committed. And they're found in this passage of Scripture. And, and these steps are, 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 you know, they're pretty clear. And each one of the steps happens with a confrontation that Jesus has with an individual. There are three different confrontations, three different individuals in this passage. And all of them want to follow Jesus. They want to become one of his disciples. But every one of these confrontations come with a choice that has to be made. As we walk through these six verses... You have to make a calculated choice. You have to choose. You have to decide to commit. So let's look at the first one. In verse 57, uh, it says, As they were going along the road, someone said to him. We don't know if it was a, a man or a woman. Well, we do too. It says in, in verse 58 that it was a him. So it was a young man. 
Someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. That's a pretty audacious statement right there. I'm all in, Jesus. Wherever you're going, I'm going. I mean, that's what this young man says. But you know what? The young man had no clue where Jesus was going. When he said that, he thought about Judea and Galilee. That was, where, that was his country. That was where he lived. He knew people in those areas. And he was willing to say, okay, Jesus, I'll, I'll go with you. I'll run around the country with you. But he didn't know where Jesus was headed. See, he didn't know Jesus had a date with the cross. He didn't know that. And so he's willing to follow Jesus through Galilee. He's willing to follow him through, through Judea. But is he really prepared to die? Is he really prepared to give up the comfortable life that he has to be beaten and crucified? You know something? It's really easy to say things with our mouth. And it's a hard, lot harder to back up with our life. I had someone tell me years ago, Never say something with your mouth that your billfold in your back pocket can't back up. That's not exactly how it was said, but that's the only way I can say it in here, okay? In other words, be careful, little mouth, what you say. And very often when we're in the pressures of life and we're being squeezed or we're in a situation, I mean, it's like a foxhole conversion. Jesus, I'll, I'll follow you the rest of my life. You'll just get me out of here. And then what happens? You wake up, you're not there anymore, and the commitment's gone. The choice is wasted. And this young man says, Jesus, I'll follow you anywhere you go, wherever you go. He makes an audacious declaration, but he has no real commitment. And Jesus responds to him. And in verse 58 it says, And Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests. And literally the word nest there means they have roosting places. I mean, Jesus, Jesus didn't think the birds roosted in their nests, okay? That's just translation. Literally it means they, they have places to roost. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. I have no home. And you are prepared to follow me. I don't have a guaranteed place to sleep. Even the foxes and the birds have places that they sleep. But I don't have a place. Jesus confronts this young man rather than welcoming him to the team. Jesus didn't step out there and say, Man, come on in, be one of us. He didn't do that. He didn't do that. He didn't welcome him to the team. You see, the, the road to failure is paved with good intentions. All of us have good intentions. But very often, we don't follow through because the commitment's not there. And you know what? Good intentions are not enough to carry you, and they're not enough to carry me into the kingdom of God. They won't make us good disciples. They won't make us citizens of the kingdom. In essence, what Jesus is really saying is, have you counted the cost? Are you willing to pay the price? Now, those people today who are in public relations would have went, mm -mm -mm, that's not the right answer, Jesus. You shouldn't have said that. How are you going to build your following, your platform? I've heard a lot of that at, at the conference I went to. How are you going to build your platform if you continually tell people the hard, cold facts? Jesus says, have you counted the cost? Do you know what it's going to cost you to walk with me? Folks, the reality of following Jesus is it will cost you everything that you have. Okay? You mean I'm going to have to give up all my money? I didn't say that. Jesus never said that. You mean I'm going to have to move to Africa? I didn't say that. I'm saying this, that when you give your life to Jesus, you give your life to Jesus. You no longer retain control over it. You give control to Him. That's everything. That's everything.
Have you burned your ship? Jesus put it this way in another passage in Luke. In Luke chapter 14, verse 28 and 32. He said, For which one of you, when he builds a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? In other words, which of you, if you're going to build an addition onto your house, you don't just run out and hire subcontractors and, and have the material delivered and put them to work and then realize midway through the project you don't have enough to pay everybody. Can I just tell you, that's a recipe to get killed. You say, how do you know, Nelson? I used to be a subcontractor. Okay? And I probably would have never killed anybody over money, but I know some people who would. All right? What Jesus is saying, the worst thing in the world is, is to start building something and then not have enough money to pay for it. And then he uses another il- illustration. He says, or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and take counsel whether he's strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one who's coming against him with 20,000? Or else when they're still far away, he sends a delegation and asks terms of peace. Jesus is just real here. He's saying, which one of you are going to go get into a a fight and there's two of them and one of you? You're not going to do that unless you're pretty sure you have the ability and the strength to overpower them. He uses an army where there's 10,000 and 20,000. It's two to one odds. You're not going to do that, are you? You're going to come to an agreement somehow, some way. Jesus is just realistic here. The point he's making those two illustrations is you've got to count the cost before you make the choice to commit. If you don't know what the cost is, when it comes time to pay it, you may be unable to do it or unwilling to do it. Say, well, Nelson, that's, that's not how we get people into the kingdom of God. It might be the way we need to get people into the kingdom of God, to be real and realistic. I mean, when you get saved... It's not the easy path, okay? Everything just doesn't get perfect. Those of you that know Christ know that. We still struggle with the stuff. We just don't struggle by ourselves. So we've got to count the cost. Jesus says count the cost. That's the first, that's the first principle you need to remember. I need to count the cost. He moves next. He, he, Jesus, this young man, Jesus... He doesn't tell Jesus, I'll follow you. Jesus says to him in verse 59, he said to another, follow me. Now, that's not a request. That's a command. And what he's asking this young man to do is to be a disciple. He's, he's asking this young man to make a commitment to follow moment by moment a daily kind of lifestyle of living and doing the things that Jesus was doing. In other words, leave everything and come walk with me. He's asking this young man to do the same thing that he said when he walked by Matthew's tax booth. Follow me. When he saw Peter and and John and James fishing, follow me. He's, He's asking this young man the very same question. In other words, drop what you're doing and come walk with me. And we don't need to be real critical here because I'm going to tell you what, that, that, that's when you sit down and you go, hmm. Except the young man didn't go, hmm. The man responded. And he responded with a a request that was really an excuse. Discipleship, listen, is not a program we follow. Discipleship is a person that we follow whose name is Jesus. And this young man responds, he says, well, permit me first to go and bury my father. Now, I've read that and read that and read that and read that and I thought, you know, that's not, a, that's not really a bad request. It sounds really good, right? Y'all be honest with me. Let's not be religious. I mean, that's, 
pretty good request. That's that's honest request. It seems noble. In the Jewish tradition, the oldest son was required. He had an obligation to bury the father, and it took precedence over all his religious duties, and it was considered an obligatory act of love. I mean, it was that was just his responsibility. That was a part of being the firstborn son. And so the man's response seems noble, but here's my question. If his father had died, why was he following Jesus at that point and listening? And why was he not at home taking care of the situation? The reason is his father had not died yet. His father may not have even been sick. What he was asking permission to do is to remain at home until after all that took place. Okay? And after that, he would have his inheritance. And he could pay his way on the trip. He wouldn't have to worry about doing without food today because we haven't got enough money. Or, you know, you guys can sleep out by the campfire. I'm going to stay up in the, in the Holiday Inn there outside Nazareth. He would have had money. So, so his issue is he wasn't really willing to, to cancel his, his family commitments. Instead, he offered an excuse. And Jesus is kind of blunt here, okay? He, he answers him. In verse 60, Jesus responds, responds even sort of coldly. He says, allow the dead to bury their own dead, but it's for you go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Allow the dead to bury their own dead. Jesus is calling this young man really to a higher calling even than family. He's calling this young man to go and to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom everywhere, far and wide. He's calling this young man to go carry the news of life to those who are spiritually dead. You could translate Jesus' response this way, allow the spiritually dead to bury the physically dead. You go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. What he's really saying is cut all your commitments. You can't be committed to two or three different things. You've got to be committed to me. Commit yourself fully to the kingdom of God. Every one of us has to cut or to sever any commitment that takes precedence over following Jesus. Jesus put it this way. And sometimes we read this passage and, and we misunderstand it. In Luke chapter 14 verse 26 Jesus says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and his mother and his wife and his children and his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he can't be my disciples. Jesus is not saying that we should hate our parents or that we should hate our family members or that we should hate our spouse or our children. He's saying that our love for him in comparison to our love for anyone else should be like Almost hate. I have to love the Lord with all. Not some. That's what the commandment is. You are to love the Lord your God with all your heart. With all your soul. With all your mind. With all your body. Not with a part of it. Jesus is saying, look, you've got to determine who you're committed to. He's not saying we shouldn't love our family. But rather we should love him with all our heart. The commitment Jesus is calling for here. Is, is one of totality. And the principle is we have to cut, we have to cancel, we have to sever, whatever you want to call it, all the commitments that keep us from following Jesus at this level. And listen, if you live long enough, there's a lot of things that will tie, try to take Christ's place in your life. God, I got I to gotta make a living. <laughs> I got to take care of my family. You know, I'm, I'm up for this. I'm, uh, if, I, if I can hold out here, Lord, I got, you know, six months, five years, and, and I retire. You know, all those kind of things. Lord, my 401K is just about to 401K it. You know, it's about to hit out the park. All, all of those, those are, 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 are excuses very often that we use to not do what Jesus asked us to do. You know, there are very few people Christ asked, go to Africa. Let's just be realistic. But he's probably asked every one of us 
to speak to our neighbor or to the cashier at the Walmart or to the waitress at the restaurant. He's probably called all of us to, uh, to give a man or a woman uh, something to help meet their needs. See, commitment is not just go to Africa. Sometimes commitment is just speak to the person across the fence. It takes just as much commitment to do that as it does to go to Africa. You say, no way, Nelson. Listen, you go to Africa by making those commitments to speak to the person across the fence, to minister to the person at Walmart, to help the person at the restaurant, to not drive by and turn your head when you see someone in need. All of those commitments take you to the place where when God says, I want you to go here. Okay, Lord. That's what happened in Abraham's life. When God asked Abraham to give him his son, he didn't ask him at the beginning of his life. He asked him after he had made decision after decision after decision after decision to follow God. They come to that place where God says, Abraham, I want Isaac. And what does Abraham do? He prepares to give it to him. Folks, the commitment I'm talking about begins with little choices. If I won't make the little choices, if I won't help here, if I won't volunteer to do this at church, or I won't, I won't serve in this area, or, or you know what, I, I really, I'm not comfortable doing that. You know what, when it comes time to make the big choice, you're not going to make it. I'm just being straight, honest with you. If you don't make the little choices, you will never make the big choice. Okay? To, whom, to, to the one who has given little, I mean given much, is required much. And the way God tests that is in little decisions, in little actions. Jesus is finally confronted by another young man. And this young man is, is, is conflicted in what he should do. He makes a declaration and then he, he follows it up with an excuse. If you look at, at verse 61, it says, And another also said to him, I will follow you, Lord, but first, but first, permit me to say goodbye to those at home. Now, you know, in, in the Old Testament, when Elijah calls Elisha, that's exactly what Elisha says. Let me say goodbye to my dad. And Elisha gives him permission. But Elijah is not Jesus. Okay? And what Elijah wanted Elisha to do is not the same mission that Jesus has given us to do. And so, this young man says, I'll follow you, Lord, but first. But first. Listen, I'll follow you, Lord, but. Okay? I want to be very careful with this because I have a friend that, that spent some time on this particular conjunction and it just went south. Okay? It's a conjunction. The conjunction, but. He says, but. There are two words you never, ever use when you respond to God. You know what those are? No and but. Okay? Both of those words are words of disobedience. Our only response to the Lord Jesus is to be, yes, Lord. That should be our response. This young man was not committed to the calling Jesus was offering. He was torn between two mindsets. He was, he was pulled this way and this way. In fact, he was ready to quit even before he started the journey with him. He wouldn't commit because he couldn't make a decision. And Jesus responds to him. It says in verse 62, And no one, Jesus said to him, No one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. That's a pretty tough sentence right there. I will be real transparent with y'all this morning, okay? This verse right here has played a huge part in my life of ministry. In 19, I don't know, 87, 88, 1986, God called me 
God had been calling me. I don't want you to think that's the first time it came up. It had come up for about 12, 14 years, but I just wanted, I ran, okay? I ran as hard as I could because I didn't have any preachers in my family. I didn't like preachers, okay? And the last thing I wanted to do was be what I thought a preacher most of my illustrations of a pastor or a preacher were. I didn't want to be that. And so I just went the opposite direction. I didn't tell anybody. I kept it to myself. And one night or one Sunday morning after a sermon I heard, I, I went home and I told Kathy, I said, tonight when the invitation comes, I'm going to surrender to the ministry. And it was like I hit her with a, a baseball bat. Okay, she didn't have a clue about it. And I did it, and God lifted a ton of bricks off, but there was a lot of stuff that still went with it, okay? Over time, uh, Kathy gave me a, a, a Christmas present, which was some online courses, and I took those from Southeastern Bible College. Oh, yeah, that's right. It's not online, it's, it's by mail courses, that's right. Yeah, let's get this. Let's get the story. We're gonna tell this story. Let's tell it right. Amen, amen. So it was basically mailing classes, and and I loved it. And and God opened the door. I was working for a company. I was a superintendent. I had a great job. I had a bunch of guys that I was responsible for, and I was making really good money. And I had a truck of my own. I didn't have to, a company truck. I, had, I mean, all good benefits. And God began to work in my heart about going to school full time. And I went in and talked to my boss. And he said, well, you could get the job started and da-da-da-da-da. And you could go to school. And, and I, I started that and realized after a day or two that wasn't going to work. So I enrolled full time in, in Southeastern Bible College. And, and I'm trying to work and I'm trying to, to do my school, and I realized it wasn't going to work. And I realized what God had called me to do. But I was torn. We got to eat. You know, we, we got to go to school. We got to eat. We got to go to school. We got to eat, you know. And if you look at me, you can tell I've never missed a meal, so eat was a big thing. I got to pay our bills. I mean, I'm just struggling with all that stuff. And so I, I came to this, I, I, Kathy went on a trip or something. I didn't even get out of bed while she was gone. I called my pastoral friend that, that is really my pastor. And uh, he said, you know what, Nelson, God doesn't play games with you. He either calls you or he doesn't. So he's not playing games. And I can remember, I can't remember the gentleman's name. I can tell you all about him. I can tell you what he taught. I can tell you. This and this and this. But that Monday, I, I made an appointment to go see him. And basically, what I had done is I had dropped all the classes except one. I was going to take one class. And God, I'll do whatever you want me to do, and we'll work through this a class at a time, maybe, for the next 50 or 60 years. Because <laughs> that's about how long it would have taken to get 100 and, I don't know, 60 hours. I'm not sure. And... The thing is, you had to get your, your drops signed by the professor who taught the class. And so I went through, got them all signed, and I went to, to this gentleman's office. And this was when Southeastern was still up on top of the hill in Birmingham. So it was uh, the last semester they were there. And so I went in to see him. He asked me to sit down. He said, tell me what's going on. I told him my sad, tearful story that uh, he probably heard a thousand times. And he signed my paper, but he, he pushed a folded piece of paper back to me. And I stuck it in my pocket, and I went home. When I got home, it was a Bible verse. Guess what Bible verse it was? This one right here. Luke, six, Luke 9, 62. No one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. I'm going to tell you, I got smoking mad. At him? At God? What, what right does he have to give me that? I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm having this pity party. Ultimately, God used this verse to 
propel me on. I, I, the next semester, I quit my job. I went into business. I had no customers, and I went to school full time. And for the next seven, eight years, eight years, Kathy knows exactly, I went to school, and I worked. It took me eight years to get a four-year degree, and I already had 30 or 40 hours in the bank, okay? So commitment's not easy, folks. But listen to me. That decision helped me to make other decisions that I would never have made at that point because God provided for us everything we needed when I needed to work, God poured the work on me. When I needed to study, God did not allow me to have any work. We paid our bills. They were never late. Ended up in seminary after the age of 40. Moved to Mississippi after I'd lived in the same place for 50-something years. To a really good job that paid really good. And then God said, Nelson, I want you to go home and plant that church you've been dreaming about. And here we stand today, okay? All because somebody was obedient and gave me a verse. And God spoke to me out of it. I treasure this verse now. I didn't when I first got it. Jesus responded to him. Very, it was a tough response, but it was a tough response that he needed. He needed to be confronted. Listen, if you continually look at what was or what is or what could be or what should be or what might be, and you don't fix your eyes on Jesus, you won't follow him. My father, when I was growing up, we had a mule. Uh, my dad had a tractor and he had a mule, but he would rather plow with his mule. Okay, there are a few people in this room that have probably plowed with a mule, or at least seen it. There are a lot of people that have never had that pleasure, okay? My dad's mule was named Mamie, named after my dad's older sister. I don't know the story, okay? I just don't know that story. I just know the only two Mamies I knew were the mule and my aunt, okay, who my father loved dearly. But my father could plow a furrow as straight as an arrow. I don't care how long the field was. And I, I asked him one day, I said, Dad, how do you do that? He said, I fix my eyes on a point at the end of the field, and I plow to that point. And so, I, you know, I, I grew up working in the field with him. And one day he let me take the handles to the plow, Okay. And it looks like a fun job. And it looks like an easy job. I mean, heck, the mule pulls it. You, all you have to do is balance it. That's what I thought. So he let me take the, 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 the plow. And, and I didn't even have to giddy up. The mule knew something was different, and she started off. Well, I mean, the, the plow weighs a lot. I mean, it's basically a piece of iron on two sticks is what it is. Uh, you know, trying just to keep it balanced as a job. Well, then the mule's got a pace that she walks at, and you walk at her pace, okay? Well, I'm not quite as big as Dad, so I'm doing everything I can, and we're sailing along out there. I've forgotten about the point at the end of the field. I just want to survive, and I'm looking back because I want Daddy to see this. His oldest boy is plowing, okay? This may be the last time he plows, but he's at least plows. So I'm doing this, you know, I'm giving it this shot. We get to the end of the road. I make the big turn and come around, and my row was just like this. He's just standing out at the end of the field like this. I wasn't focused on the point at the end of the field. My focus was distracted. I'd been committed. I wasn't committed to laying off a straight row. I was committed to... To get noticed, basically, and just once the once the ordeal started, to surviving. I mean, that was that was pretty much all I wanted to do. Listen, what Jesus is saying to this young man is, if you won't focus on me now, and keep your eyes on me, you won't when it gets tough. You don't let that stuff go. 
It will always be here as you go forward. He's saying commit to the calling. Fix your focus on the future. Where you're going rather in the in looking at the mirror of where you've been. Okay? Listen to me. There, there are people in this room who are you're buried in the past because this has happened or that's happened. Focus on Jesus and stop looking in the rearview mirrors. In fact, just reach up there and snatch that thing right off the the, the windshield. You won't need it because you're not going back there. You're going that way. Focus on him and he'll take you straight to where you're going. In Luke chapter 14, verse 27, Jesus puts it even plainer. He says this, Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. What he's saying is commit to your calling. Count the cost. Make sure you understand what the cost is. Then you know what? You've got to cut and you've got to sever all those other commitments you've made to keep the commitment. And then he says in this to this young man, Commit to your calling. Step out. You know that first step is the toughest step? That day back in 1986 when I stepped out in that aisle at that little church in Bradford was the hardest step I've ever taken. I don't even remember the next steps. That first step when I told my bosses, hey, you know what, I appreciate you having given me this job and, and trusting me, but I'm going to have to let it go. God's called me to something else. That was a tough step. Let me just tell you, when we moved to Mississippi... It was the toughest step I'd ever taken. And when we got ready to plant this church, we did it with fear and trembling because we didn't know what was going to happen. You know what? There are some other steps ahead of me. I'm pretty sure about that. But those steps are, are, are still hard to take, but not because I don't trust Jesus. I have learned that I can trust him in every situation. And what Jesus does is he takes me deeper and deeper. And he does this with you. He takes you deeper and deeper into your commitment. Folks, the time has come to make the decision. It's to commit to whatever calling Christ has placed in your life. It's, it's time, the time has come to burn your ships. I didn't know it that day, but when I stepped out in that little aisle at Hughes Memorial Baptist Church, I had burned the ship. And when I left that job, I'd, I'd burned two or three more ships. And so it goes. If you're planning, you've you got to get this, this, this mindset. I love what Cortez says. He says, burn the ships. If we're going home, we'll go home in their ships. Folks, if we're going home, we'll go home in Jesus' ship. Not ours. You plan on unlocking the door that, that blocks your path into becoming a disciple. It will be with the key of total commitment. And, and look, you can vacillate back and forth and you can, you can say, well, you know, I'm not ready to make that decision. But the moment is now. Every person in this room is faced with the command of Jesus. Follow me. Follow me. That's what Jesus told Peter on the beach after the crucifixion. He says, follow me. Yeah, Lord, but what about follow me? Follow me. Listen, if you hesitate, you've made your decision. If you refuse to make a decision, you've made your decision. Jesus will accept nothing less than total commitment. So before you make that decision, count the cost, okay? Sit down and just say, you know, what's it going to cost me? Be honest. It's going to cost you everything. Then you've got you to gotta cut or you've got to cancel or you've got to sever all the other commitments. It's not that you, 
you, you abandon your children, you divorce your spouse, you, you, you get rid of your family. No, you put them in the proper place. And you realize that Jesus has to be first. Because if he's not first, he will not be second. Okay? So I've got, to, I've got to cancel those commitments. And then I've got to commit. I've got to take the step. I've got to take the step. I've got to burn my ships and follow Jesus. Listen to me. The principle is this. Total commitment is required if, if we are going to become kingdom disciples of Jesus. Folks, if we're not committed, then what God has provided for us, we really don't want or need. Those provisions are for the journey we take with Him. Those, those provisions are not for, for us to just enjoy right now like we, we're the uh, rich, uh, we're the, we've inherited some rich estate and we can you know, live life to the fullest. They're for the journey. They're for the journey with him. Every one of those provisions. See, where, wherever he's called us to go, he has already provided for us. He's put the provisions along the way. They are there already. All we have to do is take the stroll with him. I don't know what God's called some of you to do. I, I don't know what your personal calling is. I know this is a church. I know what God has called us to do. And we need some folks who will commit. I mean, and by that I mean not just a, a toe in the water, but you know what? I'm here and I'm committed, come what may. Good times, bad times, I'm here. I'm committed. You can count on me. We need that. But more than that, to do that, though, you have to be committed to Jesus in your own personal relationship. Folks, this is not something we do so that we can dance through the crowd into heaven. Okay, this is something we are called to so that we can go to heaven. Okay, we have to be committed to Jesus. We have to give him all of who we are, everything. It's all or nothing. He doesn't want a little. He wants everything. Folks, when he died on the cross, he didn't give a little. He gave everything. Every last drop he gave for us. Let's pray. Father, this morning. Lord, there's not. For more information on Eagles Wing Church, visit our website at www.eagleswingchurch.org or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Eagles Wing Church. Thanks for listening and have a blessed week.